a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. This is then a sanctification. is a daily drowning of the flesh and, the, and a daily rising again of the new man to life. And that is what we call repentance. The law comes to us and shows us our sin, and then the gospel comes and, and forgives our sins, and, and, and by that the new man rises daily to life. The point is the forgiveness of sins. I mean, I, I wonder if the gospel was preached in that gray old church. I wonder if the sacraments were rightly administered. Because if it was, that's the point. I wonder if those gray old people needed the forgiveness of sins. It's like putting Vaseline in your eyes before reading the New Testament to be a dispensation. Because <laughs> you can't tell anyway what's up and down. So. You're just trying to get on the Facebook quote page. Hey, welcome to this edition of Table Talk Radio. You know, it's been forever since we've done a little Iron Preacher. It has. And we're going to remedy that situation today. Uh, we're joined Way on, too long. Yeah, yeah. Joined on the line is uh, Dr. Carl Fikincher. He's a professor of homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back, Dr. Fikincher. Great to be back, Evan. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And the challenger for today's edition of Iron Preacher is uh, Table Talk Radio's uh, favorite Bible Bee guest. That is Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer. He's pastor of Redeemer Theological. Uh, or sorry, why do I always do that? Redeemer uh, Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. I'm sure it's Mexico. a very theological church. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, his his uh, little podcast is called Redeemer Theological Academy, which is where my words get mixed up there. But welcome, Brian, uh, back to Table Talk Radio. Oh, it's good to be here. So I understand you just learned the rules of Iron Preacher uh, a couple minutes ago. I did, and it was something like, just listen and don't say anything. I wonder who gave you that advice. All right. Well, we're going to forgo our usual uh, liturgy of, uh, of uh, uh, buzzwords so we can get right to the text. And the text for you today comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. And the passage reads thusly, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but you sit on my right and my left. This is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. And But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This is the gospel. Uh, you preachers, go ahead and pr- start preparing your sermons. Um, Dr. Verkinch and I got a little discussion about preaching, so uh, go ahead. You have a little over, a little under seven minutes left in the in the segment. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's that's ample time to prepare a sermon. Any week. Uh, any oh week. yeah, <laughs> Dr. Verkinch, I have a question. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, people notice when uh, visiting a Lutheran church, maybe for the, for the very first time, in contrast to um, some other churches, perhaps even in a, a non-denominational church, is that the preaching is really, really short. <laughs> They're used to these preachers that go on for 45 minutes or close to an hour. What would you say marks the difference between preaching in a Lutheran church that's maybe 15, 20 minutes compared to these hour-long sermons? Well, that's an interesting question because those hour-long sermons are often referred to as expository sermons, and actually, his expository sermons, by, by everyone's agreement, comes from Martin Luther. Historians of preaching all agree that it was Luther in his day that gave us this approach where we would take a text and work through the text, in, 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 one might say, verse by verse. And in developing a text in that kind of detail, at, at that length, uh, it really is a, a matter of, of a lengthy proposition. In fact, in Luther's day, an hour was kind of standard for preaching. Luther complained that his own pastor, Bugenhagen, preached too long because he went two hours. So Luther <laughs> said, you ought to just get up there, say what you want to say, and sit down. And he thought, well, that's about an hour is what it takes to get up, say what you want to say, and, and sit down. So it is rather ironic, because your observation is correct, that uh, what's often referred to as expository preaching, that very lengthy kind of 45-minute uh, often uh, oral exegesis of a text is, is, is much less common in Lutheran services now than it is in non-denominational church bodies, or, or uh, churches, congregations, I should say. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that this uh, expository preaching that Luther definitely did develop, that he really did originate, is in many ways more precisely replicated now in Lutheran congregations in 15 to 20 minutes than in some ways it is in the, 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 uh, the, the, the expository sermon that seems to sound more like Luther's and goes 45 minutes like his used to be an hour. The reason I say that is this. Uh, when Luther preached his expository sermons, he would look at a block of text, and sometimes it was quite short, sometimes just a verse or two or three, Uh, But he would look at a block of text and first analyze what the point of the entire block of text was. Even if, even if he only preached on, let's say, verse 1, John 1, verse 1 today, and was going to preach on John 1, verse 2 tomorrow, he would look at, for example, John 1, 1 to 14, the entire block of text. And the first thing he would do is determine what the real point of that entire block of text was about. And, and the German word for, for this would be the Sinmete, that would be like the middle thought, or the Herzpunkt, the, the heart point. Uh, we usually, in, in our English homiletics nowadays, would say like the central thought of the text, which then gives rise to the theme of the sermon. In other words, Luther would look at the unifying thought for an entire block of text. And then, yes, he would see what verse 1 said, but he would actually analyze what verse 1 had to do 
with the sinmite or the Herzpunkt. He wouldn't just think of verse 1 by itself, but he would see what verse 1 contributed to verses 1 to 14, for example. And then he would look at what verse 2 contributed to the full text of 1 to 14, what it contributed to that central thought, and he would go verse by verse in that manner. The uh, uh, expository sermons, as they're often preached nowadays, I actually often refer to as neo-expository, which is a little bit of a pejorative term. It says it's not quite as good as the original. Because what often happens nowadays in, in these expository sermons is that verse 1 really will be seen just as verse 1 by itself. And then verse 2 by itself as verse 2. And verse 3 by itself as verse 3. And what the preacher will do is uh, analyze the text itself, look at the original language quite nicely often, and then give an, maybe an illustration and an application verse by verse. Now, now what difference does that make? Well, the difference that it can make, doesn't always, but can make, is that when we atomize or, or, or separate the individual verses from a larger thought block, it often results in losing the real point that's being made. And the crucial thing is this. The real point in all of Scripture is Christ. If we take an individual verse by itself, we may just see something that ought to be done, something that ought to be emulated. Like, like here, here's a guy in the text in the Bible that did a bad thing. Don't do like that. Or here's a guy who did a good thing. Do do like that. If we look at larger blocks of text, we find ultimately Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the epistles, all the way through, God is always inspiring that text to point to Christ. And sometimes we need to step back just a little bit to do that. Now, in the, in the shorter sermon, the, the 15 to 20 minute sermon that Lutherans are taught in our seminaries to preach nowadays, we really are still working with Luther's kind of classic expository model where we'll take what we call a pericope, that is a cutting of text that might be, let's say, John 1, 1 to 14. And About 20 we seconds here. Central, We look for the central thought and then the theme of that full block of text. And so in 15 to 20 minutes, we're still making that one point, which again always gives us an opportunity to see and then proclaim Christ. Well, there you have it from uh, the doctor of uh, homiletics from Cordia Theological Seminary, uh, the difference there that you hear commonly as you enter the, your local congregation. When we come back from this commercial break here on Table Talker Radio, we're going to do a little Iron ooh, Preacher, ooh, ooh. Um, Doctor or, uh, Pastor <laughs> Pastor Wolfmuller and Pastor Ketchumar will be on on the pulpit to to be preaching, and uh, Pastor Ketchum will be going first. We'll be hearing from that sermon from Matthew chapter twenty right after this break. You're listening to uh, Iron Preachers on Table Talk Radio. Thank God for the preacher.
Table Talk Radio. You're laughing too, right? Hey guys, it's Pastor Gigline. I have a little project I'm working on for my church, and I'm looking for a volunteer that has some free time and some audio editing know-how who can help me out. If that's you, send me an email, evan at tabletalkradio.org, and I'll tell you all about it. Thanks. He got a new mercy, a new grace. Street corner preacher with the angry face. He got two years off for good behavior. Back in the neighborhood of working for the Savior. That's two old ladies. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Okay, so in years past on uh, Iron Preacher, um, uh, Pastor Wolfmuller, uh, in his preaching on the, of the text, was uh, accused. I mean, the, the, I don't know if there's any proof of this. Is there, Pastor? No, Wolf? no. I mean, no. I did one time quote the sermon that happened before me. Oh, so that okay. might have been might have been part of the cause of this accusation. But, but some some have accused Pastor Wolfmuller of uh, of borrowing from the previous preacher. Um, so to remedy this problem, we are going to put him in the sound booth for this preaching of uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer and then bring him out uh, to hear the critique. Um, so with that, but, uh, goodbye. Say goodbye, Pastor. Goodbye. Wolfmuller. I'll see you goodbye, in a few minutes. <laughs> All right. Pastor Wolfler can no longer hear us, and we can no longer hear him, which is really the greater relief. Um, okay, so uh, Pastor Ketchmeyer, whenever you're ready, you have five minutes. When I, whenever I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, I am ready. So in this text, this beautiful text, we, we learn about uh, prayer. We, we learn about Christ and who he is and how we have access to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit that we can actually come before Christ and we can petition, we can ask, we can make a request. But yet in a passage like this, we also learn that in our human weakness, we, we, we don't really know what to ask. It's like the first time when you go to a restaurant and the server comes up and says, what would you like to order? And you say, I'd like to see the menu first because I really don't even know what the restaurant offers. And so it's the same with prayer. We don't know how to ask. We don't even know what to say unless God first teaches us, reveals to us that we are to seek after his will and to seek his kingdom. And so you have a passage like this that at the beginning you have the mother of the sons of Zebedee petitioning Jesus, asking about the kingdom, that in this kingdom would you have my two sons sit at your right hand and your left hand. This is what I ask, this is what I request, and this is what I would like to see. And then now in this, we, we know that throughout Scripture, we are taught to pray to God, to call upon God, that we're given His name so that we can, we can petition Him, we can make requests to Him, and He loves to hear what we need, and He loves to give us what we need. But again, the problem is, we by nature are sinful, and in our weakness, we ask for the wrong things, and so we have to learn what we should correctly ask for. And so in this passage, we learn how Jesus is very gentle with his mother, when her weakness is asking for the wrong thing. And she thinks what she's asking is a good thing, but Jesus has to correct her, and he does it with great gentleness, so that she would learn, and the other disciples present, and of course us, as we hear these words, that it's not to be our desires, but God's desires that are to be done. We don't go before the Father and say, 
to the Father. We would like our will to be done. We would like His will to be done. So when we petition Him and say, we think that our will is good, we always have to say, but of course, let your will be done. Your desires be accomplished in our life so that as we continue to learn how to pray, God's desires become our desires. So the whole issue about having this authority in the kingdom is not about ruling. It's not about being exalted and having this power. And so Jesus talks about those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But of course, when we're humbled, that's when Christ comes and exalts us with the gospel. So when we learn in our weakness that we don't pray for the things we really should and what we ought to, God brings us to our attention that that's not in line with his will. But yet, as we are humbled, as we are humiliated and humanized, then it's God who comes to restore us and to bring us back to teach us and to forgive us. So that Jesus does want to listen to us, but then Jesus also wants to speak to us. So that Jesus teaches properly that he's the one who came to serve. He's the one who came to give his life for ransom, to even to purchase back even these ourselves from these weaknesses and these uh, wicked desires that we want our kingdom to come in the way that we want it rather than God's kingdom to come. And so when Jesus talks about this cup, are you able to drink this cup? Well, Jesus alone is the one who will drink the cup of God's wrath, the wrath that is poured out upon us because of our sin, our rebellion, and our refusal to listen to God and our desire to do things in our own way. But it's Jesus who came to serve, so he empties himself, taking the form of a servant, and he dies his death on the cross so that we would be forgiven and brought back to him. And even these sins of, of weakness and asking for the wrong thing are forgiven. So that when Jesus is crucified, he is raised from the tomb, he is exalted, he is ascended into heaven, he is given the name above every name, and as the high priest, he continues to serve us in our weakness and strengthen us. He continues to be the one who serves us, and he continues to give to us the Holy Spirit so that we learn to be of service to our neighbor. 30 seconds. And as the one who came to serve, he's the one who stands as our high priest, who continues to pray for us as we begin to actually do what God desires. Amen. All right. Oh, Thank you, uh, Pastor Ketchman. Now, let me bring, see, we get Brian back in here. Brian, what? Well, hey, hey, whoa. Oh, hey. hey. Um, you've been checking some Facebook in that time? Is that? No, I was working on Ketchmeyer's bulletin for this Sunday. Isn't that <laughs> <what> he... <laughs> nice. All right. We're going to hear from Dr. Frickensher. Uh, Dr. Frickensher, what do you think? Well, I think it's a fine job. And, of course, when we're working with that kind of time frame, uh, you're, you're going to get uh, uh, a little opportunity to do some really creative things that are quite different. But actually, just, just laying out the things in the text is always a helpful way to go. It really is back to that expository idea that we talked about uh, before the break. The one thing I – well, first of all, several things were marvelous. Uh, the, the, the law was well-pointed. It really did direct us to see when we also might pray for the wrong things, when we want things that we perhaps think are good, but ultimately are self-serving. And Jesus gently corrects those to see that, that that's wrong. In fact, it's, it's sinful. Instead, the, the new matter woman inside us wants not what we desire, but God's will to be done. And we pray that God's desires would become more and more ours. 
Then you turn to gospel, saying that when we're humbled, then Christ comes to us with the gospel to restore, to forgive. By his death on the cross, his resurrection, he alone would drink the cup. Uh, he would serve us as a, our high priest. Now, that, that's a, a fine uh, law gospel move, including the, the, the um, absolution of the very sins that you pointed out in the first portion of the sermon. You pointed out that those very desires that are selfish are among the sins that Jesus came to forgive. All that is very good. By way of critique, I would say the, the, the most significant help for this sermon would have been to be more explicit with a theme that would run all the way through. A way, some kind of phrase, even in the very short seven-minute time of preparation, some kind of, some kind of phrase, some kind of sentence, better yet, that would be uh, clearly unifying to the, the entire idea. And it could simply have been those very words from the text, not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, uh, John and James' mother really wanted others to be serving her sons. Jesus came not to ser be served, but to serve. And that would uh, perhaps have been something to express early on if it was a deductive form. It could be later, but if it were later, you'd, you'd want the, the, uh, the seeds to be sown so that we would recognize that as a unifying thought uh, all the way through. That, I think, is the one thing I would suggest to perhaps enhance this sermon, given the very, very limited time that uh, uh, Pastor Catchelmeyer had to work on it. That for the sake of the, of the listener, so that they walk, they walk away kind of having a clear picture in their mind, uh, this is what the sermon was about. Exactly. Okay, exactly. very good. So let me just shut that up. Not to be <laughs> uh -oh. uh, theme. Put, put him back in that sound booth. <laughs> hey, wait a second. Yeah, what is this? <laughs> Nothing, brah. Never mind. Hey, wait, why do we put brah in the sound booth? <laughs> you, you would like that, but no, no. He's going to stay right here with us. <laughs> That's funny. All right, with with a, with about a minute, um, Dr. Pekincher, uh, explain why that's so important. Uh, the difference between a sermon that has that kind of clear theme running through it and one that doesn't. You bet. Well, it's really very much a matter of, as you expressed well, Evan, what the hearer is able to receive and process. If a hearer hears a lot of good things, but doesn't see how all of those good things are ultimately one good thing. It's difficult for him to retain them, even to necessarily understand the relationship of one part to the next. It's even possible that the hearer might latch on to one particular element that really isn't where you want him to wind up. Uh, when we speak in terms of law and gospel, for example, he really might latch on to this idea that, for example, yes, I, I do think selfishly, yes, I, I really do want others to be, uh, to be serving me. Uh, I, I kind of kind of wish my mom had set things up a little better for me along the way, rather than realizing that ultimately the point is Christ coming not to be served, but to serve. The, the unifying idea not to be served, but to serve, would apply beautifully to what Christ has done for us. And then, of course, it also shapes what we as Christians desire to do for those around us. All right, when we come back from this commercial break, we're going to hear from uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller to, to hear... Uh, what his sermon on Matthew chapter 20 uh, sounds like. This is the text of uh, allow my sons to sit one on your left and one at your right. And uh, Jesus tells us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You can give us a call if you have a comment or question, 1-800-385-SOLA. 1-800-385-7652. We'll be right back. The preacher stayed up in that tree. I think it was all night. He said, oh, Lord, if you don't help me, you're going to see one awful fight. About that time, the limb let go, and the preacher came a-tumbling down. You ought to see him get his razor out before he hit the ground. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Table Talk Radio will be right back. <laughs> oh. And now, it's time for Table Talk Radio's Iron Preacher. Straight from the pulpit of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. The Iron Preacher himself, Brian Wolfmuller. Uh-oh. You know, Brian, I'm not sure that was a good idea. I think Dr. Kincher is going to go back to the vicarage office and, and review your uh, supervisorship there. Uh, if, if that's the opening <laughs> hymn at Hope Lutheran Church, I'm not yeah. sure that that's going to When the continue. microphone drops out of the ceiling and the vicar introduces me for the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a bad influence on our future pastors. Dr. I, I think so. This, this cannot, cannot be fostered. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Pastor Wolfman, you have five minutes to, for your sermon on Matthew chapter 20 whenever you're ready. All right. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Dear saints, the, the wife of Zebedee, like any other mother, wants the best for her children, and she thinks she knows best. She comes to Jesus asking, uh, would you have a place for my children, one on your right and one on your left, when you come into your kingdom? But the, the, but the problem is, as Jesus says, she didn't know what she was asking for. She, she thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that they were expecting, that he was going to be the king of Israel, that he was going to sit on David's throne, that he was going to rule over the, over the nation, that he was going to throw out the Romans and overcome their rule. And she wanted a place next to this king for her children. But she was wrong. This isn't the kind of Messiah Jesus would be. He, he came not for an earthly kingdom, but to, an, to establish a spiritual kingdom, his church. He, he came not to rule over a land and a nation and a people, but to rule over sin, death, and the devil himself. And to do this, to become this king, he is going to have to be throned on a cross. To get to this kingdom, he's going to have to drink the cup of God's wrath and drink it to the dregs. To be this king, he's going to have to suffer, and he's going to have to die. This is why the mother of James and John didn't know what she was asking. When she was asking that, that her sons would sit next to Jesus, she thinks that Jesus is going to have this earthly, magnificent kingdom, but Jesus' kingdom is the opposite, because Jesus is the opposite kind of Savior. So he says, look, the Gentiles rule like this. They have authority. They, they have servants and they're masters, but, but not me and not my disciples. If you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be master, you have to be a servant or a slave. And this is how Jesus is for us. He, he says it clearly. He says, I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We, we think we know best about Jesus. We look to Jesus to give us all sorts of good things in this life. 
I mean, this is a common preaching today. Uh, when people say, if you have enough faith, then, then Jesus will give you the, all these blessings from riches to long life to health to the best parking spots or whatever. And, and, it, and the temptation is for us as well. We think that to, to be a Christian is to have a life without suffering, a, a life without sorrow, a life without trouble, a life without tribulation. But that's not how it is with Jesus. Everything is turned on its head. We think to be a Christian means that we have to serve God. But Jesus says, no, I did not come to be served. We think to be a Christian is to give gifts to God, but Jesus says, I came to give gifts to you. And we find it not in Jesus living, but in his dying. Not in his being served, but in his serving. Not in his be- receiving gifts, but giving gifts. And that's what Jesus does. Th- this thing that Jesus says is still true today. He still comes not to be served, but to serve. He still comes not to receive gifts, but to give gifts. And that's exactly what he does in his kingdom, in his church. He gives us the gift of his word. He gives us the gift of his of his promise. He gives us the gift of his body and his blood, his gift of the forgiveness of all of our sins. So when we come to Jesus asking for for position on the right and the left, for asking for a good life, we come asking for the wrong things. But when we come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, then we come asking exactly for the right thing. That's what he died for. And that's what he gives us even today. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Kincher, if you're giving uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller a grade today, what grade does he get? Oh, no. Well, first of all, I'd have given Pastor Katzelmeyer a marvelous grade because when I say I'd give Pastor Wolf Mueller an A, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm prejudiced against uh, against the challenger. <laughs> I should have uh, asked these are both the excellent. Very, very well done. And and uh, honestly, I would say that was a good, solid A sermon, as as also as Pastor Katchelmeyer's. Uh, you know, it, it is amazing to me, Evan, and I've, we've done this many times now. Uh, you, you bring on some pretty good talents, some pretty faithful men gifted by God who are really able to put together a, a, a really fine law gospel proclamation with short preparation and to, to cap, encapsulate it in a short period of time. So I, I'm, I'm always very, very impressed with that, as I certainly was this time. As am I. Uh, so what, do you, what, what were you... I'm not that impressed because I didn't get to hear what Brian was. <laughs> there you go. I'll, I'll listen later. What remarks would you have for Pastor Wolfmiller's sermon? Well, I like the way he began where he, he pointed out that every mom wants the best for her children. And that, I think, did a nice job of picturing for us uh, that, that we, we really do pursue things that are good many times. Uh, we think they're good. The problem is, in our limited understanding, they're often not really the right things at all. We're sympathetic, frankly, to, to James and John's mother. Uh, the other disciples weren't all that sympathetic to James and John themselves, frankly, and there, there's, a, there's a, a law to be condemned there in, in their jealousy in reverse. But it put us from the beginning in a, in a situation that we, could, that we could visualize. We could identify uh, with uh, the sinners in the text. Uh, we realize that we really do want things that are different from what Christ comes to bring. And the, the historic particulars were well identified. Uh, a, a Messiah who would take David's throne, glorious throne, powerful throne, drive out the Romans, uh, rule over land and make that land mighty. In, instead, Jesus came to rule over Satan and to drink that cup. And, of course, drinking the cup was the suffering and death that Jesus would go through. Uh, Jesus didn't come to be the kind of Messiah that would, uh, that would gather glory for himself, 
but the one who would lay down his life for us. As uh, uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller pointed out from, from Jesus' own words, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a, as a ransom for many. Yes, we want Jesus to give us all kinds of things. I, 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 the obvious ones, riches and long life, that Solomon could have asked for. But I also like the, the, the parking spot. I doubt that Solomon uh, would have asked for a great parking space, but uh, it, 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 all, it, it almost uh, rings truly with us. It, it, I might say it was sort of an illustration to the absurd, uh, where we, we know the sorts of things we, we want, and really, they can be just as shallow as that when they really are viewed in the big picture. When we realize what Jesus really came to give us, it's, uh, it may not be what we think we want, but in fact, it's so much better. And I think that was very, very well pointed out. Uh, he gives us, uh, he serves us in his word, in his body and blood, the forgiveness of sins, and that was very explicit there in the sermon. Uh, I think the, the, uh, the, the, the job Pastor Wolf Mueller did was, was beautifully done. Um, I, I kind of would have enjoyed, just a, by way of small critique, just a little more of the story setting uh, being retained towards the end. I'd like to see the, the wife of Zebedee, the, the mother of James and John, uh, occurring again as we go through, because, again, I think that did such a nice job from the outset uh, of giving us someone with whom we could identify. And I think that could have been played up a little more through the rest of the sermon. This time, though, I think the, the, the overall theme was, was carried through really very nicely. It, this time, might have simply been a case of doing a little bit more with the narrative uh, to, to visualize all the way to the end. With just about uh, 30 seconds before you render your judgment, you've kind of been talking about this the, the last uh, two segments of the program, but just lay it out for us nice and neatly in, the, in, the, in 30 seconds. What is the most important thing that a preacher should be preaching? The preacher always brings us Christ. A Christian preacher is one who brings us Christ. And that means, of course, showing us our need for Christ. That's the law. And then showing us how Christ has done everything to fulfill those needs in the gospel. I emphasize with my students, I said it again today in teaching, the most important thing I can teach you about preaching is how everything, every good thing, comes from Jesus' death on the cross, because that's what reconciles us to God, brings us back together with God, so that all the things God wants us to have now are given to us. We're not cut off from them by our sins, because Jesus' cross has removed the sin that separated us from God. All right, Dr. Fikincher, I hate to do this to put you in this position, but uh, who, who do you think comes out as a winner in this edition of Iron Preacher? Well, recognizing that we've got A and A2, both of them really, really fine jobs, uh, I, I, I hate to kind of just go to the Iron Preacher just because he's the Iron Preacher, so it won't be just for that reason. I just thought there was a little more unity of the sermon for a little more clarity of thought for the hearer in Pastor Wolf Bueller's sermon, he gets the nod as Iron Preacher. Wow. That's, I can't believe it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that, that was surprising. I, I, I mean, I thought that was kind of like a, a, a buzzer beater shot at the last second. I, didn't, I wasn't expecting that at all. But <laughs> all right. Well, Dr. Kincher, thanks for joining us for this edition of Iron Preacher. I greatly appreciate that. Um, uh, when we come back from this commercial break after this, uh, we got put on hold. Uh, when we get back from this commercial break, we're going to be hearing from 
uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer. He's going to be talking to us about finding Christ in the Old Testament. We're stealing from issues, etc. Don't tell them. But we're going to hear about. Uh, re- I won't tell anybody. The, the five rules. <laughs> five rules of uh, reading Christ in the Old Testament. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. Somebody find me a preacher. Somebody find me a man with a Bible who can tie a knot. I know what I got. I know who I love. Track him down. Wake him up. Right here, right now in this Tennessee dirt. No long white dress, no little white church. Just you and your foot off jeans and my old T-shirt. Somebody find me a preacher. Just about the best thing since moldy bread. This is Table Talk Radio. And straight from the pulpit of Hope Lutheran Church. <laughs> oh, calm down there. Iron Preacher's <laughs> over. Okay, you're going to you're gonna have to be quiet for a little bit now. <laughs> All right, uh, Pastor oh, Ketchemeyer, thanks for sticking with us in the fourth segment of the program. I understand you have this little article you put together called The Five Rules of Reading the Bible. Um, why don't you maybe quickly just, just give us all five, then we'll see how much time we have in uh, discussing each one. Yeah, <laughs> well, to, to be, uh, uh, to clarify here a little bit, this is, uh, it's not five rules to read the Bible, per <laughs> se. Uh, but That's what I think it should it be. Is, 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 is five that... guidelines <laughs> for reading the Old Testament scriptures. You know, scriptures. You, so. you, you never know when you're giving an article what an editor might do to it. And uh... yeah, That's right. I'm going to change it to five commandments for reading the Old Testament scriptures. <laughs> All right. So, what are these guidelines that you have, Pastor Ketchemeyer? They're more like well, guidelines. Again, that's like from uh, that movie. What's that movie about the pirates? More the code pirates is more like guidelines. <laughs> pirates of Caribbean. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, again, these are five guidelines, but it, it's in particular for reading the Old Testament scriptures, and the reason why we put this together is that uh, it's commonplace to kind of relegate the Old Testament scriptures to being old and insignificant, and it's the New Testament scriptures that are significant, and they talk about Jesus, and that's where we're just going to stay. And so the idea behind this was to give five guidelines for reading the Old Testament scriptures so that we can underscore Jesus is in the Old Testament scriptures. It's not like Jesus didn't exist, the Son of God, who is eternal, just all of a sudden showed up in the the New Testament time, but the Son of God has been ever since the beginning. And so these five guidelines are for helping a reader to recognize Christ in the Old Testament. So let's look at these these just really quickly. We'll, We'll go over. The, the first one is going to be you read the Old Testament Scripture recognizing the fact that it testifies about Christ. So this is how you're going to be reading the Old Testament Scripture. You're coming to the text recognizing this truth, that it testifies about Christ. And so that's why you have in the New Testament Scriptures well, where Jesus himself will say such things as the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. And so he's referencing as it is written of him in the Old Testament scriptures, because they testify to him. They're all about him. So that's number one. Number two, we want to recognize that when we read these scriptures, 
we should read them in the same way that the apostles read them. So we don't just take them up and read them as if the New Testament doesn't exist, but instead we take the apostolic writings and we use this as the starting point. So how did the apostles read the Old Testament scripture? So we learn to look for Jesus as the apostles reveal Jesus when they quote from the Old Testament scriptures. And now, so guideline number three, then, is we read the Old Testament grasping that it is not merely just a catalog of future promises about the coming Christ, but instead Christ is actually present and he is active back in those days of the Old Testament times. So it's not just a list of proof texts to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is actually there before the Incarnation, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who constantly comes to seek and to save the lost in the Old Testament, just like he does in the New Testament. Now, guideline number four is that we would read the Old Testament Scripture understanding that God was rejected by his own people who refused to listen to his word. And so throughout the Old Testament text, you have a testimony of the prophets, how they continue to come to the people of God, but the people of God refuse to listen to the Word of God. In fact, the Word of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, comes to the people of God, and he is forsaken and rejected over and over again. And so therefore, the fifth rule is that we read these Old Testament scriptures re realizing that they reveal the knowledge of salvation in the same message that is given to us in the New Testament Scriptures. So it's not like the Old Testament Scriptures had a different way of salvation, a different way in order to gain access to God. It's the same way. It's the same message. It's the same knowledge of salvation that's revealed through the prophetic and the apostolic writings. So now, those are the five guidelines of how to read the Old Testament scriptures. Now, of these five, the the one that I find most thought provoking is number four. Could you could you explain why this is so important, and maybe what the result would be if you failed number four? Uh, that is, reading it with the understanding that God was rejected by His own people who refused to listen to His word. Well, when when you look at the, this uh, again, the, this kind of this guideline is that you have to understand that the word of God was rejected back in the days of Moses and all the prophets just like the Word of God was rejected in the flesh by the Levites, the priests, the religious leaders, the teachers, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, in the days of Jesus walking around in Nazareth and Galilee. So it's the same Christ, the same Word of God who's rejected in both places. I mean, you get this idea of modern-day Judaism, and modern Judaism will say, like, oh, the Old Testament Scripture has nothing to do with Christianity. It has nothing to do with Jesus. The Old Testament Scripture is the Scriptures of the Jews, and in order to understand it, you have to listen to the rabbis who are the teachers. <laughs> mm. Well, the fact of the matter is, it's the very teachers and the rabbis who were the ones who rejected the Word of God in the Old Testament Scriptures, just like the teachers, the rabbis, <laughs> rejected the Word of God incarnate, in the New Testament scriptures. So we have to understand this continuity that this is what's taking place, that the Word of God comes to his own people to call them and to gather them back to himself, but yet they would not come. 
And so this is why the Word of God in the flesh will say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who slay the prophets, how often I have sent them to you, how often I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not come. Instead, you slay the prophets that I sent. And so you, you see this continuity of Old and New Testament. It's the same Word of God that's rejected by God's own people. How, this is amazing because it's not just in the synagogue today, but even in in Christian churches and so-called conservative Christian churches, uh, they'll they will read the Old Testament as if it is a Jewish book and not a Christian book. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it always behooves us that. The, see, the, the rabbis have this idea that in order to understand what the Old Testament scriptures are about, you have to go to the rabbis because they have the key of knowledge to unlock what's in the Old Testament scriptures. And the funny thing is, this is the boast of the rabbis, but you have to keep in mind, the rabbis are the ones who rejected Jesus. And so modern-day Judaism is not a continuation of Old Testament Judaism. That came to an end when Jerusalem was sacked in A.D. 70, and the temple was destroyed, and out of the ashes of Jerusalem that's destroyed, God builds his church, so that the rock that the builders rejected, the leaders, the rabbis themselves, is the Christ, the one that is the rock who's a stumbling block to them, and the one that the Lord uses to lay the foundation of the church, the kingdom that he comes to bring. And so it's ironic that those who reject Christ and their whole premise of their religion, their, their key tenet is that Jesus is not the Messiah. And then you have modern-day so-called scholars in the mainline Protestants who go to the rabbi to say, teach us about the Old Testament. And ironically, <laughs> you even have the conservative Protestant groups going to the rabbis to say, teach us about the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Uh, what what happens when you don't follow your five commandments here? Yeah. <laughs> well, since they're not commandments, uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, fine. Your guidelines. These are guidelines that are set up so that you would walk in this way in order to help you to appreciate the Old Testament. And, and so, what this is is this is for the benefit of the reader, so that the reader would actually engage the Old Testament text. Instead of thinking of the Old Testament text as a Jewish writing that's about Jewish rules and regulations, and it's about Jewish history, it has nothing to do with me, instead you actually see that it's a testimony of salvation history, that the same God who created all things interacted with his people in those days, promising Christ, and it's the same God who interacts with us in our days, promising us Christ, that he alone is the one in which we find the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. And so these guidelines are set to, to help encourage an appreciation for actually reading the Old Testament scriptures and not seeing it as just a list of do's and don'ts and uh, rituals that no longer apply. Instead, you see in all of these, uh, these ceremonial rituals, these shadows, these types of the reality to come, that Christ himself is the reality. So throughout the scriptures, it testifies to in Christ alone do we have the forgiveness of sin. We've been joined by Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer. He's pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. He's also the host of uh, the world-famous uh, podcast, Redeemer Theological Academy. You can check that out at redeemertheologicalacademy.org. Is that right? 
Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know our own website. I, I know, right? <laughs> hey, it turns out that Pastor Wolfman and I are are going to Madagascar. If you'd like to help, I think so far we have enough money to get um, me there, but not Pastor Wolfman there, and he really wants to go too. So check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Hit the donate button and put Madagascar in the, in the description. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. That's where a joke goes right there. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the cabalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.